This week on the Open Nester Podcast with Carl Honoré. I mean, what matters now is not whether you're 57, 67, 77, or 27. What matters is you know, the, the, the series that you watch on Netflix or the art that brings you to tears, the music you dance to, the food you cook, the places you travel, the books you read. That's what defines you. Welcome to the Open Nesters Podcast. How will you write Act 3 of your life? Will you be open? Will you welcome the possibilities? Are you going toward your most vibrant, authentic stage of life? Are you curious to discover what's ahead? Are you in a fork in the road and wondering which path to follow? Would you like to hear from others who are already writing Act 3? Hey everyone, I'm Tessa. And I'm Amir. Why be an empty nester when you can be an open nester, living on the edge of your curiosity, on the fringe of your imagination, reinvention, and sexuality? Together, we'll take a journey and explore how rich this stage of life can be when we approach it with an open mind and an open heart. Today, we are honored to have Carl Honoré. So that is my little pun for the day. But he is an award-winning writer, broadcaster, and TED speaker, and the voice of the global slow movement, and really taking on ageism. So this is our second podcast on the topic of dismantling ageism, which we are really excited about. It sure is. So yeah, I think uh, Amir was saying how he's, this is really, he's starting to really Yeah, be, I uh, really, with, with this uh, podcast, which is the second one about ageism, the first one with, with Ashton Applewhite, this one is really helping me change my rhetoric, my own rhetoric, and my own behavior, really getting to understand what ageism is all about. Wonderful. Let's hear from Carl Honoré. Carl Honoré, good evening in the UK. And great to have you on the Open Esters podcast. How are you? I'm thrilled to be with you. Thank you very much. And I'm well. <laughs> uh, Tessa and I were listening to your TED Talk, and we are quite intrigued. In fact, we're very excited to have you on our podcast. You are an award-winning writer, a TED Talk speaker, and author of the book In Praise of Slow. And you become a global voice for the slow movement. So please tell me. How did you uh, come from the slow movement to the anti-ageism movement? Well, that's kind of a big question with maybe a slightly unexpected answer. I, I, the last 15 years of my life have been devoted to taking down the cult of speed, right? So I've written three books about the benefits of slow, not rushing. I'm not a fundamentalist or an extremist of slowness, Faster is often better, but slow philosophy is about doing things at the right speed. So, you know, being present, mindful, one thing at a time. So I've been devoting myself to that for say 15 years. And I, I had a moment, I, I discovered along the way really that all my books start with a moment of personal existential crisis. And that's sort of what happened with <laughs> my, neck, my new book, Boulder, which is about aging and ageism. And I don't, in a way, I don't think that, I didn't, never thought of them as connected. I think of my first three books as the slow trilogy. And then I think of Boulder as a separate departure, a new, a new um, 
playground to, to frolic in, if you like. But of course, there are some conceptual overlaps between aging and slowing down and so on. But it was, it, it was no plan, right? I didn't think I must move into aging because there's a clear throughput from slow. They're, they're, they're two separate things I, in my I mind. Actually, into, I found them very integrated. And so that's why I wanted to just be so, mm. you know, have this open discussion because we in the Open Nesters podcast have a discussion with many of the experts and just people at different stages, individuals, divorcees, couples, uh, partners about Act 3. They've raised their kids. And as you told us at the beginning, your son, and during the pandemic, you became what is traditionally known as an empty nester. And so now you're an open nester. And I think we don't always realize how much we can integrate learning how we slow down. And maybe that even is a model. And that's act three when we're not actively raising mm -hmm. kids. And that's not our focus. Our focus can be, as we know in the happiness you curve, that when we're very present, when we're young, and then we have this really busy time in the other sections of our lives. And then we hope in this act three, and especially when our kids have left and we all of a sudden have more time to ourselves that we can then say, oh, I can be more present again. So I think there's also a choice in that presence and slowing down that can, I hope, actually be a model for society. So I think oh. Boulder kind of can be kind of connected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's for me, the connection is retrospective, right? It's looking back. I, I was thinking of this as a totally new pasture to be working in. And of course, the deeper I got into it, the more I realized that I, like everybody else or most writers, we live in a big Venn diagram, right? With lots of bubbles overlapping and that the boulder bubble was overlapping in lots of ways with slow. And you put your finger on a few of them there, right? Uh, right. One of them that mm -hmm. I found most interesting is the, um, and surprising to me, was that people tend, I mean, there seems to be something that happens with aging just as we go along that we get better at being present and being in the moment, right? That's something you do find across all socioeconomic groups, all cultures that people just seem to, without even maybe even trying to do it, they end up cultivating the art of slow as they get older. And so it's, you know, I think it's one of the benefits and probably partly explains the U-shaped happiness curve you mentioned a moment ago. One of the reasons right. that we do curve upwards in later life is that we just get better at living, <laughs> which means we get better at slowing down into the moment, right? So I think that there's a clear um, handholding going on there between the two concepts. And, and appreciating and our time, appreciating our time, you know. Yeah, and in fact, well, you talked about their act three and that notion of pivots, I guess, and transitions and moving sure. into new chapters. What's the best way to prepare yourself for opening a new door? It's to pause, right? It's to slow right. down. It's to be with the uncertainty. It's to, instead of leaning in, we're always being told to hurry up and lean in. It's to lean back right? and, and, and look at the big picture and the, and the distant horizon right. and ask yourself, you know, why? What, what, what's the next thing I want to do? Why do I want to, what's, you know, is this the right door that I'm even opening? Right. Perhaps the one three doors down should be my next venture. So yeah. that injection of slowness is absolutely crucial at I think any stage of life, but I think we need it perhaps even more, and we're maybe better at doing it as we get in towards that second half of life. Yeah, I remember at one time I, I rushed, almost ran into a store, Walmart or something, and the guy at the, I guess the guard at the door said, what are you rushing for? And I said, I don't know, I don't know. And he said, slow down, because if you don't slow down, you're going to run out of time. And I had to kind of, it has to sink in to think about it. 
But you're right. You have to slow down in order to figure out what's, what's the next step. What actually is really what about? What is, which door I'm going to open? And, so, the, and the, par- yeah, the, uh, the paradox is inherent in that, you know, because we have a society that is achievement oriented. And so if we're mm. not trying to get somewhere and yet we have a chance to reflect, like you talk a lot about productivity and you talk about vision and you talk about slow eating. So I'd love to discuss some of those topics, if that's OK. Did mm-hmm. you want to first respond? Did you have a response to on the air before? In the colonial days specifically, but modern times, too, there's not even in, in Africa. People will say, you know, we, we have you have the clocks to the Europeans. You have the clocks. We have the time. I think that gets it. What you're saying that, right? That we are racing through our lives, (laughs) racing through our lives instead of living them. And part of that is a neurotic, unhealthy, obsessive relationship with time, with dicing up every chunk of hour into minutes, and then trying to maximize productivity, squeeze every drop of whatever it is, output, whatever the word we want to use, out of every moment. And that's just a completely absurd and counterproductive way to live a life right that's not how you live that's it's the whole thing why are you rushing where are you where are you rushing to right what are you running from exactly you know and we can't digest it it's like you have this have started the slow eating movement too and i love the fact that i mean that's definitely part of like what mindful eating is is that when we're able to and then you the broader term is that how we cultivate and cook and consume our food and so that's such a basic function of our health the way food is processed. Yeah. So I, I love coming back to that first core and then going to some of the other concepts that you discuss. But the idea that we have to slow down, and I think, I mean, obviously, as we get older and we have more time, perhaps, and we're not trying to feed our kids all the different things that maybe we have to cook and do for them as quickly as we can to get them to their activities, which we want to try to take a little bit back from that as well. <laughs> yeah. So all of those things that now as we're older, we can look at and say, wow, I've been doing it this way, doesn't mean I have to continue. I can, some people are saying, grow my own vegetables or really spend more time at the local far, the local market and for, you know, farmer's market and cook things with more excitement and love. As I always used to say, my kids used to laugh that I'd, I'd say, I, I won the second place in the chili. And intention. And, and yeah. And that <laughs> I, I cook with love. Like I'm not, I, I don't like when I have to cook on the fly and you have to sometimes. So mm. that's the paradox. And yet, how do we slow down? And so I love I'd love to hear some of what you're seeing in the in, in the world around that movement, you know, before we can discuss some of the other ideas sure. of and if it is tied to this aging and how someone my, our age can say, Wow, I have time to do that now. What am I gonna yeah. benefit? What's my benefit? Well, I th- I think it's not surprising that one of the first, perhaps the first official slow movement in the broader slow movement was slow food, right? It was it's a logical starting point because food is a universal joy, right? It's one of the great pleasures of being alive, right? It's the sen- sensory pleasure of eating, f- f- you know, good food, well-made, but also the the social connection, the sitting around the table together, the lingering over a meal. I mean, it's no surprise that the uh, the word companion comes from the Latin words with bread, because it's when we break bread together that we are at our closest we are at our most human we are slowing down together right so that and i think that's been one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that because we've been confined to home people have well look at the whole sourdough baking boom right i mean people are going back to you know pickling uh, beetroot making bread cooking meals i mean that's been one of the few joys 
and excitements we've had. So I, I think when people look around the world now and say, well, what happens? What do we take forward? What do we hang on to when we leave lockdown, the pandemic behind? I think food is going to be one of the main ones, actually, for a lot of people that recapturing that spark, that magic, that simple soothing joy of making food and sharing it with other people. Basic human stuff, right? The building block of a life well lived from, from any age, right? I mean, you want to start that as, and that's something Absolutely. I feel really pleased about with my own parenting is have, have imparted my own love of food to my children who are now 19 and 22 away at university. And they're both amazing cooks. They're constantly bombarding us with photos of incredible dishes they've cooked for all their <laughs> friends and stuff. So at the very least, I've equipped them with the, uh, the food, um, a food arsenal. Ability right? to cook. Yeah. yeah, which I think is a yeah. huge you know, boon at any age. But you, you mentioned it later life. I think that's, that is true, that as you get away from, you know, just be moving into that, what you're calling open nest moment, you've just, you just claw back time because there's just fewer people around that expecting things from you, right? And I do, I do think from what I see that a lot of people are reinvesting that time in food, right? They are going back to the slower way of eating, which of course is also a very good investment in your health physically, you know? So it's, it's a win all around on, on all angles. But it's not a contradiction to the fact, I mean, we all know that life expectancy is, let's say, 85, 90 years old. And all of a sudden, one gets to a certain age and he says, oh, my God, you know, uh, statistics say that I'm going to die in 12 years, 14 years. Should I hurry up and do more or should I just slow down and enjoy what I'm doing? Mm. Well, how, do you, how does one balance that uh, well, conflict? It's funny because you're asking that question in a kind of, hypothetical conceptual way, but actually if you sure. look at the studies and the, the science of this, it turns out that as we get closer to the end, we become more aware of death, we actually slow down. The one thing we take away from that is we start to cherish the moment. We stop, generally speaking, we stop, we, we rush less and we live more. I mean, that's, and that's why um, every religion you can think of has some form of death meditation in it, right? You know, you think of Buddhists talking, think about death five times a day and not in a grim, morbid, you know, oh, woe is sure, me sure. way. But the whole point of that is to make you be more present in the now and to make more of the time you've got left. So there's, there, that for me is the paradox, right? We think, I think we assume right. that I that deadline, I mean, there are, the word dead is in the word, right? The ultimate deadline is right. death, yeah? that in normal right. life with work, you get a deadline, you think, well, I speed up, right? <laughs> to meet the deadline. Sure. In When it comes to real deadline, the ultimate one, life and death, the opposite seems to happen, right? So um, right. I, that, that's something to, to hold on to, to cultivate and to, to look forward to, I think. Right, that that's totally makes sense. And you, and you clear that for me, because I was questioning that, that was, was hanging on me. And you know, the Eastern traditions taught, have taught us, if, and we're now obviously have integrated those into science in mindfulness about the slowing down and being present. And, and so, and also honoring our elderly, like that's the, I think, connection to ageism. And when we're slower to listen and not as, not as fast to move on from them, we can really be present to the, all the ages. And I hope they will be, I mean, even through the pandemic, I've learned through some of the things I've read that there'll be more multi-generational living. Yes. And people are figuring out ways now to honor this age and the, the idea of what we hope to dismantle ageism. So I'd love to make that little connection back to that, if you will, about ways we can do that because we tend to deny women in particular. I mean, I, I haven't done that too much, but my, so many women will say, oh, don't ask a woman her age, you know. I love that I'm going to be 60. Like, I'm so like, bring it on. Mm. And, I, and I feel like somehow this has got to be a part of the message of slowing down to say, 
I've got this time. Yay. Wow. I have it. I want to, I want to age gracefully because I'm not rushing through these years. So we tend to deny yeah. it and ageism is huge. So I wanted to kind of get into that topic a bit. A- ageism is huge. I think of it as the kind of ageist industrial complex, right? It's just all around us. We're constantly bombarded by the idea that younger is better, that aging is a curse or a punishment or a disease, right? Um, and, and actually aging in, in the world that we live in now, we're enthralled to the cult of youth. Aging can get you written off everywhere, right? From the boardroom to the bedroom. But it doesn't make any sense because it's wrong. I mean, it's just flat out wrong. The idea that it's all downhill from 35 or 40. I mean, there's no wrong side of 50, right? There's just two sides of 50 and each side brings its own pros and cons. And there are a lot of pros on the other side of 50, sure. right? The side, the side that I'm on now, right? right. Um, and, and you mentioned the multi-general living there. And I think that's an important thread to pull on because we've kind of I, I hope at the end of what has effectively been a blip in human history, because throughout human history, the generations have mingled and mixed, right? In the fields, at home, in the market, at play, at fiestas, everything, right? Every generation is mixed. And then we got into this sort of industrial modern era and suddenly we broke off into age silos. So you had people of different age cohorts, more or less in their own areas, physical areas, not mixing much. And that allows stereotypes to fester and, and, and grow and take root. And one of the ways to take down those age of stereotypes is to bring the generations back together again. So as you say, I think one of the learnings from the pandemic will be people wanting to, and it was happening before, people talking about you know, more communal living, rethinking how we design homes for people who are at the very end of life, having them in, in more like neighborhoods with other people of different ages around them, all that stuff is also, that's what human beings do. It makes us happier, healthier of all all ages to be mixing with people of different generations, but it also breaks down those stereotypes because nothing erodes stereotypes better than getting to know the people being stereotyped, right? So if um, if you've got nobody in your social sphere who's 60, right? I mean, I was like that before I wrote my book and changed my whole 180 swing on the way I think about aging. I was in an age silo, right? Everybody in my age, my group was either my age or younger because I play hockey and most of my teammates are 50, 20 years younger, but nobody was really older, to be honest. And so that just allowed all of those grim downbeat stereotypes to wrap their greasy fingers around my neck and hold on, right? Um, but, but by the work I did for Boulder and all the people, it's kind of widened my sphere. And now I have friends, you know, 60, 70, 80 and up. And it just is completely helped change my own view of aging and my own view of being 53 now and what I might be at 73 and what 93 might even look like. And it looks very different right. from what I used to think before when I didn't know anybody older than me. Yes, right. that's right. So I also love the the way you talked about um, dating and, 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 the, and the fact that sometimes people, I, we, we have divorcees listening and people having to get online. And the fact that we have this issue with having to minimize people's age when they're dating or when they're showing me, because that's what's kind of what's accepted to people. I wonder how you've helped break that down. Um, I don't yeah, know if I mean, dating yourself. I have a friend that, you know, he's in the mid sixties and he relies flat out about his age on the dating apps and he gets women to date him and he looks much younger than what he is. If, if I can say that. And, you know, he asked him straight up, he said, would you date me if you knew that I'm uh, 66 or 67? And they said, no, I wouldn't. So, you know, that whole p- 
process is 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 become it's it's legitimize his uh, reason for lying. Hey, it's like an advertising, almost false advertising, but I get the date and then they, they like me. So what do yeah. I say to him? Um, I would say, well, I think there's still various ways to think about that. I mean, I don't know, I don't know your that specific case, but I think generally starting off a new relationship based on a falsehood is not really a good way to go as a general rule. Uh, I, I think you're planting a not very healthy seed there to begin with. Um, so sure. I put that on, out there to start with. I think that, and I think some of the dating apps have been looking at this as a possibility. I mean, I know that on Tinder, you can pay more to hide your age. I think we should be probably moving towards somewhere where people just, where age isn't something that you put in your profile, right? You sort of say, because that's what's changing in the world. The, the, this, the tectonic plates are shifting and we are, I think, moving into a world where chronological age, well, your friend's an example, right? A chronological age doesn't, it's losing its power to limit and define us, right? I mean, what matters sure. now is not whether you're 57, 67, 77, or 27. What matters is, you know, the, the, the series that you watch on Netflix or the art that brings you to tears, the music you dance to, the food you cook, the places you travel, the books you read, that's what defines you. And that can vary massively within one age. So well put. Right? So I, I, it seems to be such yeah. a, a, a misleading indicator to have a profile and one of the item lines is age because what you're doing there is you're just bringing a whole rucksack of stereotypes, many of them poisonous and unhappy uh, to a party sure. where you don't want stereotypes, right? You want to meet the person where they are. You wanna meet the person as they are. And the, the lang it seems to me that chronological age is less of a, it's, it's a, it's a it's a filter that gets in the way more often. So I, I think right, there's more variation within a generation than exactly. with than, you know than than between generations. I mean, as a human being, if I want to connect deeply with someone, it really has nothing to do with their age, except that if they're 50 years older and they're only going to have 10 years left, I think I have to decide whether I want to be their caretaker. But <laughs> you know that the, it depends on how big of a difference. And yeah. yet as a friend and people that I want to hang out with, I love people that are, I love to call me already and becoming an older and elder. I love that. And I definitely associate and can feel great with young people. So I don't need to feel like looking for the fountain of youth. And that's where I'm trying to figure out how to help people overcome ageism as part of this mission on this podcast as well to say, so what are some of the things you would help people do to try to, for themselves, to talk to themselves about getting around language and getting around these ideas that we, we go with anti-aging, all the stuff that's out there yeah. and all the things that really limit us. Like how is the psychology, how can we help ourselves? If you're enjoying this episode, I really hope you'll go back to episode 13 and listen to Ashton Applewhite on Does Age Matter? That podcast and Ashton Applewhite is a role model for me. And I really believe we can all figure out such different ways to be as women and, be, and in general be in the world as we age with so much grace. You can also find resources on dismantling ageism from Ashton Applewhite as well as Carl Honoré's links on our website under resources. Back to the podcast. Well, there are, I think there are lots of little small things we can all do. You mentioned language and you mentioned that dread phrase, anti-aging. I mean, one thing I would just say is, 
don't don't buy any product that has the words anti-aging on it as a start, right? I mean, get a product, get a face cream or a hand cream, whatever it is that doesn't say that doesn't demonize aging, right? So that every time you're in the bathroom and you see it there, you're feeling bad about yourself, right? You're feeling ashamed, and that this is your you're doing your penance, right? This is your your cosmetic atonement is this this little pot of cream. So I would I would I personally never touch anything that's got anti-aging on it. I think all those other little phrases that we sprinkle around our daily language and you know things like senior moment or well I said wrong side of 50 you know feeling my age showing my age all those little expressions I mean often we use them as their tongue in cheek and we're trying to lighten the mood and and, and I'm not against that I'm not some po face you know everything's going to be terribly earnest and serious I think it's important to laugh at ourselves sometimes but I think that we use these phrases too often too automatically and too unthinkingly and they just box us in, right? Because they're, they're just reinforcing the, 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 the lie, <laughs> the myth that aging is all about decline and sadness and loss and failure and illiterate, you know, digital illiteracy and all this sort of things that we associate it with it. So, so I would just say, stop using or try to, or use them less, right? If you feel you have to use them sometimes, but just try to check your language a little bit because that makes a difference. The words we use affect the way we feel about ourselves and the way other people feel about us. So I would think about um, the language we're using. Another thing I would suggest is seeking out uh, role models. You know, social media gets a bad rap for being very ageist and so on. And there is a big part of social media that is age, age you know, particularly the kind of social influence, that one wing of social influencing, which is dominated by, you know, lovely women in their early twenties wearing very few, all that sort of thing, right? That's a very particular part of it, but that's not the whole thing, right? I mean, actually every day on social media, millions of people are uploading videos and photos showing their version of being 40 something, 50 something, 60, 70, 80, 90. And guess what? Those visions they're putting out there, those images are radically different from that awful narrative that we have in our head that tells us Correct. You're too old for this, right? You know, you shouldn't, you're, you should be ashamed to show yourself in a, a bathing suit or, and you see these people that just, it lifts the spirit. I, I, I look, I've used social media for that sometimes if I'm feeling a little bit worried about age, uh, you know, I just see people like the other day I was looking at a guy um, who he broke the planking record, you know, doing a plank. I don't know if you saw this story. Yeah. yeah he was a former U S Marine. He, he did planking is pretty, I mean, I do a lot of planking myself, but he, he, he did it for eight hours 15 huh? minutes eight 15, hours. and 15 seconds, 15 minutes and 15 seconds, eight hours. Ooh. That's a lot of planking, right? You know, I'm struggling <laughs> in eight minutes. For one, plank. Eight hours. Ah. one plank. And you know, he's, and he's 62 years old. And I'm just thinking, wow, yeah. he's 10 years older than me. Right. So I won't be planking eight hours and, and, and more at 62, but if someone can do it at 62, then what can I do at 62? Right. So I think it's just having right. those stories around ourselves that tell us, it yeah. was a different and getting rid of shade, like my dad right? always said getting old ain't for sissies like that was my dad's expression getting old ain't for sissies like I, you know i start wanting to say that if something little thing like i'm not feeling the same as i did and there's got to be a mental shift that we create that says okay so i could slow down and do it differently yeah and i can try something else and the idea of staying curious i think which is a big part of mindfulness and slowing down is that pause it's that Oh, okay. So maybe I can't do exactly the same thing the way I did it. What else can I do? What else can I do? Yeah. So I think that's such an important way we can kind of convey this message of how to act and how to enter our this stage of our lives, Act Three. Yeah. And I, that's why you know we really want to. That talk to that you is about the that. crucial pivot, I think, is to have the first thought, which is, oh, 
you know, my knee hurts or whatever, you know, and then to think, well, what can I do now with the knee that isn't what it was for the first 55 years of my life, right? You know, I, I love playing volleyball, say, um, I'll move over and play pickleball, right? Or, you know, whatever, something that just requires less torque in your joints, you know? So I think it's always that flip, you, rather than feeling the first twinge of something that hurts or isn't doing what I did before and immediately sliding into a slough of death bomb, it's to think, look up and think, well, what next? You know, what's the next thing? And I, I sort of think of it often as like a video game for aging that, uh, you know, with a video game, you're, you're always going up a level, right? So you, you get to level, so I'm, let's say I'm 53, so that means I'm at level 53. And I get to the end of 53 and it's not a sad thing because I'm progressing, right? I'm going on to level 54. There'll be new adventures, new bits of treasure to find, new weapons, whatever it is, right? New challenges. Sure, I'm leaving some things behind in 53 and I can't even maybe remember level 42 that well now, but who cares? Because level 54 is stretching out in front of me. And I, I think sort of using little kind of thought experiments like that, I can, can just reframe it in your head and, and, and put a different spin on things. That I love that. Yeah. I love and that. changing our own narrative, changing our own narrative. I'm too old for that. Or, or you, I yeah. can't you you know, do what I used to do. There's, there's one expression. I keep hearing it all the time and it just makes my blood boil. You hear it all the time in the media, right? Where journalists will be chatting about something and they'll say, they'll be referring back to an election that happened in the in 1990 or something. And they're say, they'll say, well, you know, I'm really showing my age here, but you know, in 1990, uh, or I'm revealing my age when I say, and you think, what? I mean, what you're saying by that, the, you unpack it from what they're saying is <laughs> I'm ashamed to be this old. So right. I need to finesse it by apologizing. Whoa, that's, that's not good, right? That, that has no place in civilized discourse. That's getting in the way, right? So I would say, I know that's another example of something just not to to try not to use that expression that way because that expression leads to a way of thinking and a way of thinking leads to a way of being and it's Absolutely. not a good way of being and and the fact that we truth is we can become lighter in certain ways when we leave things behind so like mm. you were using that expression i feel like let's embrace the idea that you know what i i can't physically do the same thing and I'm looking toward what else I could do. Like leaving something behind is not a bad thing. We just frame it like, oh, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Oh, I can't do that anymore. Like it's all that. It's all in the how we, what, what, that, that language we talk to ourselves and how we integrate it. And that, uh, that so, idea of leaving something behind, leaving things behind is also a very important and upbeat part of aging. I mean, this is one thing that, again, the studies show that when, we tend to streamline, right? We tend, we have tend to have fewer relationships. But those relationships are richer and bring us more than when we had a wide network in our youth and so on. And people get better at looking at activities, rituals, just stuff in their life that doesn't light them up anymore and letting it go, right? And what does that do? It, it's lightness, right? You use the word, it's, it creates a kind of lightness and a, and a space and a freedom to focus laser focus on the things that really light you up right so it's like less, getting, getting rid of luggage your own baggage yeah. yeah i would even say it ties right back to the slow movement yeah because when you're mindful and when you slow down and when you pause and you realize what you don't need 
whether it's emotionally or physically or spiritually and, and, and the, or, or people or negative energy. And you're able to then say, okay, let me have a real, real assessment of this. And then just say, how can I phase that out and move on to something new? And yeah. aging gives us that. So that is, that's where I think we're tight. We could be tied in again to be, becoming bolder in order to say, this is what I need in my life. Yeah. And so wanting to know, you know, recognizing and, and embracing and asking for what we want in the choices we make in act three are part of what we want this you know, message to be about mm-hmm. is those choices. So, so let's go back to you a little bit and your family situation. And I know you had mentioned you're an open nester now because just this year. So how that's going for you and how those are affecting your choices in your own life personally, um, an, an attachment to the kids, anything you want to mention? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> It feels like a cruel twist of fate that we've gone, whatever it is, 20 odd years, you know, with a full nest, which is lovely, right? I love my children, it's been great having them and being a father. But then as soon as we become an empty nest, the whole world locks down, right? There's so little that we, all the things we dreamed of doing, the trips we wanted to do. I Nothing left I open. Can't take my wife because I'm Nothing not Nothing left anywhere. open. So it's, it's, it, it feels um, a, little, a, little, um, a little unfair, to be honest. Uh, but that, that's being said, we've, you know, I think that we've, you know, it, it there's been a shift, right. And, and, and some things I, I feel like we're, there's just more bandwidth, right. For each other in a way. And it, you don't, it's not like anyone's that has sort of said anything, but it does, a, I feel there's a kind of more of a closeness that we're more in tune with what the others, there's certain things we're doing things together now that we didn't do before. I'm, I'm much more of a sports person than my wife is, but with the lockdown, we, one of the things we ended up doing it is, um, sort of high intensity workouts from online at home. And so we're sort of doing those together. We've all the way through our lives, cool. we've never worked out together ever, right? <laughs> so suddenly, <laughs> suddenly we're doing that. Um, and so it's just been, yeah, there's a kind of, it's a kind of closeness, I think, that's been pretty lovely. Um, you mentioned also about children. About, yeah, sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Children. No, I was gonna say, you, you mentioned about the children. I mean, I the, one thing was wondering about how we would cope because you, you, there's that whole thing of you had them for two decades and then suddenly they're gone. But it's been, I, I, I've not, I mean, I've missed them, but not, it's not been an unhealthy kind of missing. I mean, it's been a, there's been a lightness to the distance, I think, if that's not a weird way of putting it, that, you know, it's been wonderful to see them go out and spread their wings. And we are in touch. I mean, you know, social media is a good way to, keep in touch, but I think you want to avoid getting too claustrophobic. I mean, I think this is something, especially right. with parents of maybe my generation and below, the whole kind of hyper-parenting thing and being overly present in your children's lives and helicoptering and all that stuff, that I think those parents, especially who really went down that road, find it quite difficult when their kids leave home. And I read a piece of the paper a couple of years ago about how people who'd been hyper-parenting their children. As soon as they went to college, they got a dog and started hyper, hyper having the, you know, taking the dog to lots of activities and overscheduling the dog and stuff and rolling it for therapy and all this stuff. So because we are sort of slow parents, we never had that problem to begin with. So we, we've had, again, a lighter um, relationship with the children being away. So I, I think with the, the, I mean, some people say, well, how do you avoid, you know, missing them too much or, and I think one thing is is with social media is making sure you've got that under control, right? So I would possibly recommend not following their accounts, you know, things like Facebook and stuff. So you're not getting in your feed, all this stuff, seeing them doing stuff and thinking, oh no, I, why am I not there? Feeling left out as they spread their wings and forge their own life. Let them come to you on their terms to tell you what they've done rather than you finding out right away. I think that 
that can get a little unhealthy and get in the way of the, the very healthy separation that occurs. Um, I mean, I, I think it's good to set aside certain activities that you know you're gonna do online with them. I and mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, over here we call it football, it's soccer, right? Um, so my, my son and I are big fans of a team called Chelsea. So whenever there's a game, we sit, he sits down where he is and I sit down where I am and we watch it together, you know, in inverted commas virtually, right? So we, we might be talking on the phone or we might be sort of WhatsApping and we're commenting on the game all the way through and stuff. So that's just a lovely way to stay in touch, but I don't follow any of his accounts, right? You know, where he's also talking about Chelsea, but that's his, right? So it's kind of about, I think, finding the right balance and getting yeah, some it's boundaries. St- it's boundaries distancing. that we, I think we all, like if we learn to set them when they're, when our kids are younger, it helps them know that this is our lives and this is your lives and we don't have to mesh them all the time and that we can just be proud to watch you feel good and then connect where you, I think you're right, where they lead that they want to connect because yeah. you can't overdo it. And I think you probably serve as a role model to be continuing to reinvent yourself for them to know that you're not just, okay, oh, my kids are gone and now I have to just be a, when are you going to be a pay? When are you going to have grandchildren or any of that yeah. stuff that sometimes yeah. we get caught up in? Like, that's what I need next to make me happy. Like, that's not going to help you be happy. Your, your kids are going to much more learn from watching you continue to reinvent yourself and, and, and express yourself and, and grow bolder. I mean, so, you know, I actually wanted you to talk a little bit about your book too. So a little about the concept of bolder, how it came up for you. So like, that's, that's what I, just about the kids section. I, I think mm-hmm. we're finishing unless you have other leftover. Do you have any leftover things about kids? Uh, no, not, not about kids. Not okay. about kids. I mean, I, I was just remembering, um, you know, most of our audience are in the open nester stage or at least what we call them open nester dreamers. They are looking forward to the time where they can <laughs> spend more time with each other. And, you know, they're still working. They're not retiring. They still need to pay for college tuition. They still need to pay for mortgages. They still need to pay for lifestyle that they're looking to do. They still want to save. And <clears throat> some of them find themselves, you know, irrelevant. I mean, you mentioned that <clears throat> creativity is for the, uh, it's not just for the young. Like, for example, my dad, I remember him. He was a very good civil engineer. And they, the firm that he was working for wanted him to switch from his handwritten drawing and to CAD, CAD, whatever that is, whatever the, uh, he was doing as good as the machine itself, but it took him four times longer to do it that way. And they kind of like eliminated him eventually because he just couldn't get it. He just couldn't do it. And the excuse was, well, look, you, you probably you are over 50 and you can't learn it anymore. What do we tell our audience that want to stay relevant uh, in that open nesting stage what do we tell them to uh, to keep themselves relevant to their jobs and to their careers? Mm. Well, the first thing I would tell them, I would draw their attention to a survey by, I think it was Bain Consultants, where they asked employers, many thousands of employers all over the world, who learns stuff best in the workplace? And two thirds of them said that the over 50s, like older employees actually learn things better. So this idea that somehow we fall off a learning cliff in our 20s or 30s or something, it's just not true. It's just totally untrue. And in fact, I mean, it's, it, it is the case that in unfamiliar domains, it can take us a little longer to learn things later on, but we, we can still do it, right? And often we'll do it with more reflection, more self-analysis than we ever could sure. have mustered in our <laughs> earlier years. So that's the science bit, right? The other bit is what do you do to, you know, tap the science and make, make yourself um, relevant and, and, and like a sponge all the way through? Well, I, I think one thing is to, wherever possible, is just 
seek out novelty, you know, and it can just be small things like, you know, any, anyone who looks at their normal uh, favorites bar, the very fact you've got a favorites bar on your iPad or computer suggests that you're going back to the same websites all the time. Right. And I think it's, right. and I do this all it's regularly. It's just go to a website I've never been to before, like a new site or mix it up. So I'm not always going to the same things just to get something a little different, a different angle, a different rotation on, on an idea. Um, you know, even something like the walk that you, you tend to do between A and B, just mix that, go a different way, right? Just small things like that can make a difference to just keeping that capacity that we all have with us to learn, keeping the mind fresh, keeping it open and keeping yourself moving forward, which is, because that's the problem. If you stop and give up, then you start going backwards, right? So. A big part of what we do is music because Amir definitely brings new music into our lives all the time and I dance so and that's definitely a big part of what I try to promote for people to always do because that's what you could dance your whole life you yeah. dance oh. until the day you drop and Love even dancing. if it's you're in a chair yeah. you could dance so this is a vital part of how we create new ways and rhythms in our body. Mm. So I love dancing as a, as a way to. I think well, dance, I, I, I see. Yeah. I think dancing is amazing, but I don't know. Do you bring in new kinds of music or, or old, old, old? Oh yeah. All brand oh yeah. New. All brand new music. Yeah. I, mean, so I, I would, think that's really healthy too. Right. Because you're just, yeah. You know, people can it, get stuck in, in their era and never listen to anything after 1985. Right. Cause that's all, that's when all the, all their right. mixtapes are from then and they don't listen to it. You know, I think just right. listen to and that's in a way, that's one of the benefits of having children, right. Is you get exposed, exposed to, to new music, yeah. new music. Right. But, so. but, yeah. But, but, you know, Carl, what I, what I feel that we need to change our own narrative. And I know I'm a victim of that as well. Uh, I need to change my own narrative. And sometimes we say, you know what? I'm too old for this stuff. When you start trying to, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to uh, program and put uh, blogs in WordPress. You know, it's it's technical. And, you yeah. know, I have to really work on that. And, you know, but it, sometimes I lose my patience. But, you know, I can't tell myself, you're too old for that. Let somebody else do it. And that is the narrative that I'm... The message I like to send the audience is change your narrative, what you yeah. tell yourself. Yeah, don't also use that phrase. Sexuality. Yeah, don't sexuality, use that phrase, I'm too old for you, definitely. The, or, I'm too old for you, yeah. Uh, excise that from your vocabulary. I've gone through something similar during the pandemic because I had to do a lot of, everybody moved everything online, right? So I had to learn how to do all kinds of things I never would have imagined. And I feel your pain, right? You're sitting there watching, yeah. this is your 10th YouTube tutorial. And you, right. you're still one setting that you haven't got right. And it's just more like more like 25. <laughs> <laughs> you just think I'm, I'm losing the will to live here. But I did say right. to myself, you know, I could easily outsource this to somebody, but I'm not going right. to do it. That was one of the things I made up no, force myself. I, and that's actually, um, you know, it turns out that learning new things, the, the, the best way for the, to keep the brain fighting fit. And notice, I don't say keep it young, right? I'm seeing it, keeping it yes. fit, keeping it, it's the, it's the little things like right. that, right? Keeping right. your brain fi firing and keeping it fighting fit is learning, but learning really difficult stuff. It turns out that the kind of low hanging fruit learning doesn't have the same effect. It's the learning that almost hurts. Like you and I were doing with, with those YouTube tutorials. That's when the brain is really firing up. So it's kind of, you almost have to right. think, okay, it's the no pain, no gain scenario a little right. bit, right? When it comes to learning that you get more gain if it actually is uncomfortable, right? You got to push right. through, you will learn it. And also you'll be getting all kinds of cognitive 
<laughs> dividends coming right. coming your way too. Well, I'd like to come back to instead of just instead of just pushing through, relaxing because when we relax and we 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 open our vision, we may learn in different ways than we expect. Perhaps. So, you know, I know that most things are very technical with what, what Amir and you were, were talking about, and I'm not inclined that way. So my learning will come from that. My, my discomfort may come from um, just the fact that, it, that I'm frustrated with something and I have to let go in order to get mm. the answers. And I think that can come with wisdom as well, the idea of letting go. And so, I mean, it's interesting how we're all very different, how we yeah. want to challenge ourselves. Um, but yeah. I, I would, yeah, when I say powering through, I don't, I perhaps, let me rephrase that. I don't mean that you're feeling yourself at a brick wall and you just keep going. No, you, you stop, you slow down, right? You go away and go for a walk. You go for a run, you read a book, you talk to your wife, you know, you, 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 and then you, <laughs> and then you come back, right? So you, you build in that slow moment of changing gears and then you come back and, have a bit more discomfort with another YouTube tutorial and then maybe you go away again, you know, so it's, yeah, right. I, didn't want, I don't want to leave the impression that I'm saying, you know, you just spend the whole it's day easy, without no. Get, no lunch, right. You know, just power. Right, no, right. That's not, I don't mean powering through in that sense. I mean, I mean, yeah. putting up with the discomfort is better than powering through. I'll, I'll, I'll Absolutely. powering through. That's, that's doesn't, right. that doesn't fit what uh, I'm trying to say. Exactly. Carl, there's something I'm, I'm, I'm there's a saying, uh, a, a quote that I've read some time ago that I'm really pondering and I really want to get your opinion about it. Uh, Pablo Picasso, which is a very respectful um, artist, so to speak, um, said that it takes a long time to become young. And mm -hmm. I want to take, what does he mean by that? And, and where does that fit in everything else? Because yeah. I'm very confused with that quote. It I takes think, a long time to become young. Yeah, I suppose that he probably means that by young, he's using young as shorthand for playful, ageism, free. Ageism. I mean, it's an ageist exactly. word to use, right? It's an ageist word. Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, Pablo Picasso was a wonderful artist, but he was a he was a jerk as well, right? He was an he was ageist. He was exactly. a sexist. Exactly. He was a racist. Exactly. You know, exactly. There were a lot of things exactly. that are great about Pablo Picasso. That's somebody I respect right. so no, much. You answered my question. <laughs> but, but I think what he's getting at is that uh, you know it takes a long time to cultivate that kind of lightness. We used the lightness earlier, playfulness. You know, freedom, all that stuff that we often have as a child. And then we kind of lose it in that bottom right. trough bit of the happiness curve. Then we get it back. And it, it's something you can get earlier get if back. you embrace slow. I think you can get there. You don't need to wait to the end curiosity, of your life to have it. Curiosity along yeah. the way, just being curious about. So I, I, I was talking about sex for a minute because so many women in our, my age category are just not having it anymore, or they're just, you know, th things happen sometimes physically, but there's a lot of mental because you get out of practice and that's it. And that you're just companions and you're just next to each other and you're not exploring that sexual muscle anymore. So it doesn't have to be uncomfortable physically. You have to find ways to overcome that. But having curiosity around the fact that now we're at a stage where, wow, I really get it because I've read about a lot of books on sexuality. There's one guy, David Snark, I think that's how he pronounces his name, used to go around the country on his lectures around sexuality and ask, what age do you feel the most alive sexually? And women are usually are saying, oh, you know, they're in their 30s or men will say in their 20s or whatever. And there's always some woman in the back of the room saying 70. <laughs> and I just want to say that we don't have to be ages around sex either. Mm -hmm. So it's something an important thing I really wanted to bring up because we spend way too much time seeing what we're restricted by. 
And there's the sex doesn't have to mean intercourse. It can mean so many things. So I just wanted to make sure that's in this podcast as well, because it's an, it's an area and aspect of ageism. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I mean, of course, ageism tells you that sex ends at whatever 35, you know, when, when you're no longer hot enough for love Island or whatever, you know, you may as well just hang up your spurs, which is, ludicrous because that woman 70 year old woman in the back is probably right you know <laughs> that in a lot of ways you, you you know sex becomes a smorgasbord it becomes a buffet um rather than a than a, than a tv dinner right it, it, that it can sometimes be earlier in life you just the palate widens you've got more to play with intellectually exactly socially uh, you know your body better you know your partner's body if you've been together a long time better there's so much more there to and play, that word comes back again, to play around with. To play with, yay. Yeah. And curiosity so goes gonna... hand in hand with it, with play, of course. The two things are two Definitely. sides of the same coin. So I think we're going to wrap it up a little bit. Are there things we could talk about? We want to make sure that people know how to reach you as a keynote speaker or your book. Mm. I'd love you to like talk a little bit about sure. your most recent things and so we can have our audience know about that. Yeah. Um, well, the easiest place to reach me, I have a one-stop shop is um carl info so carl just my name dot info i think actually the same i think in praise of slow.com also takes you to the same place but it's, it's all my links are there so that's courses speaking videos ted talks everything you could ever want more than you'd ever want to know about me on that one page uh what have i done most recently well i've one of my pandemic Triumphs has been, I've, I've published a book, a workbook called 30 Days to Slow, and I'm running boot camps online for people. So that's, that's, that's turning out to be a lot of fun. Uh, so you can, anywhere in the world, you can, you can sign up for that. And I'm um, right, I'm working on a children's book, which is really thrilling um, about slow travel. So I've given, I was given 40 uh, epic journeys. So, you know, Orient Express or Machu Picchu or, um, you know, the underground, underground railroad, whatever. And, and then I, I write 300 words on each and illustrators spread them out over a couple of pages. And I just got the first proofs this morning and they look wonderful. They've gone through three illustrators, finally got the perfect couple. It's a couple, a, a couple, I think they're in their sixties as it happens. And they are- Why is it a children I, yeah. book rather than a regular book? A why children? sixties. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think, I think they are. Yeah, no, I'm so I'm thrilled. Uh, why a children's book? Well, I've always- wanted to write a children's book. I think anyone who's been a, who is a writer and has had children has thought at some point, I could do this and it'd be fun. And, but I just never had the idea or didn't know that world well enough. So the publisher approached me as the kind of voice of the slow movement and said, we've got this idea for slow, a slow travel book for children. And we think we'd like you to write it. And I thought, I think I'd like to write it too. <laughs> so, uh, so I've written it all and I'm waiting for the proofs, the pictures to come back now. And, um, I think that won't be out till 2022 just because of the long lead times for children's books. But it's, it's been so much fun writing a different register for a different kind of audience and thinking about the language in a different way and simplifying things. And it's been, it's been a real treat actually. Yeah, and also using a different thinking, part of your brain. Yeah. yeah it's a different, it's a different part of the, the writing muscle has been fired up over these last couple of months. And I, and also the, the other thing I've been thinking just recently out of the book, from my point of view, the, the writing part's finished. I was thinking, I'll be able to read this to my grandchildren. And I just thought, wow, what a, what a lovely, Sweet. lovely bonus <laughs> out of all that. I kind of, weirdly, I had not even thought of that until then. I just thought, oh, I'd like to write this book. And I was thinking about my own children. And I thought, wow, I hopefully will be a grandparent. I can read my own book to them. So that's something I can look forward to on the horizon. 
especially as you keep your brain firing and fit. I love that, 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 that motto that you've left us with. And this has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Carl, no, it's, it's been enlightening to me because I honestly, I always had a problem with, with my age being honest about it. And, you know, I thought that, you know, uh, young forever is what, what I need to be. And I don't have to really do that. And you enlightened me personally. And I'm sure that uh, many of our open nester podcast listeners. Thank you very so much. Thank you. It's been a lot thank of fun. You. Thank you for that inspiration. Thanks. We'll, we'll talk soon. That was truly enlightening and inspiring. This is what really helping me going toward understanding ageism much better, changing my own rhetoric, uh, and really showing my age. I am uh, really uh, understanding the fact that why people talking about, well, you know, uh, I'm sharing, I, if I share this, I will show my true age. It's like almost like one is embarrassed to show his own age. And we really what matter to us is the art, the travel, the books, really what makes us the people we are. And not apologizing for our age. You know, this idea exactly. that we have to say I'm too old for something, rather than considering what is the word we're really looking for. I'm, you know, I, I, right now I'm feeling a little tired for that. Right now I'm, I'm not interested in that anymore. But let's start to try to dismantle that language that tells us that we are not, when we, we can still seek out novelty in new ways. And that's what I love that he talked about as well, rushing less, living more at this age, and checking our language and looking for role models. And this is exactly what I'm talking about and understanding when it means go toward slow. Go toward slow, which means as you age, you really want to enjoy those moments much better. It matters more to slow and enjoy. Beautiful. And if you'd like to check out more resources on dismantling ageism, go to our resources on our website page. And don't forget, episode number 13, Ashton Applewhite on ageism will give you another perspective. Brilliant one. And speaking of resources on our website, please go check it out, theopennesters.com. That's double N in the middle, theopennesters.com. Leave us a comment. Let us know if you're interested in being a guest, or perhaps you know somebody that is an open nester or becoming an open nester that like to be a guest. Leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And join us on our closed Facebook discussion group where you can discuss all these topics, which is at The Open Nesters. Ask to join. And we are on all the social medias. Wonderful. And till next time, this is Amir. And I'm Tessa. And we will see you on the radio. Ciao.